0: Welcome to the New Book in Secularism, a channel of the New Books Network. My name is Yakir Englender, your host today. Many times we make a distinction between profane or secular and the holy. So how can it be that deeply religious poetry is being written by a committed socialist, literary revolutionary and modernist? How sacredness appears in working in the field, how one can pray after the death of God. This magical contradiction is being explored and explained in the book, Abraham the Hebrew Believer, Secularism and Holiness in the Work of Avraham Shlonsky. The book is a journey to the world of one of the most creative figures in modern Hebrew culture. And our guest today is Dr. Rani Yeager, who is a scholar and educator at the Shalom Hartman Institute in Jerusalem, and the co-founder and rabbi, or maybe should we say a secular rabbi of Beth Phila Israeli in Tel Aviv. Rani, welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, uh, it's great to be here, Yakir. Thank you, thank you. So today we're going to speak about questions that are very relevant, in my opinion, to to our lives you know there are so many constructions of uh, words that we are using like this is religious this is profane or this is secular um we speak about living in 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 the city compared to living in nature and i think and what holiness is and the gift with your book that you go to one of the unbelievable poet. I don't know exactly how to, to even to identify um, Shlonsky, and, and I would love you to do it. And in a way, his literature and his poetry, his poetry and his short articles are opening new ideas or new definitions around the so familiar definition. So, Rani, as we start a few words about who was Abraham Shlonsky.
1: Okay. So he was born at the beginning of the 20th century. It was very meaningful for him that he was exactly born in 1900, uh, you know, at the beginning of the century like a newborn, a newborn kid to a newborn century. Grew up uh, in a small city in the Ukraine uh, to a uh, his, his parents' home was something that was very appealing for me because his father was more religiously traditional, even, even though not strict, but still very much affiliated with Jewish tradition and it was very important for him and his mother was a communist. So he, he used to he, he's describing in, in one of his um, beautiful poems that in his parents' bookshelf you can find the Bible on one side, or Maimonides on one side and Lenin uh, and, you know, or, you know, some some, <laughs> some Russian avant-garde uh, anarchist writing on the other side, looking one upon the other. Right. So, I know you know, because so many times we think of these people as coming from traditional homes, but they're all, he was one of those people, one of those persons that already came from a very, um, I would say, vibrant, open, um... Wins from many from many corners of of, of that European uh, moment. Um, he he. When he was 12 years old, he went to to you know to what was that to Palestine to study Hebrew in a, in a college here in a Hebrew college, which is also crazy. You think of the beginning of the century being so far away with all the low communication of those times. Had to go back because of the First World War. And then came back as a as a pioneer as a as, as part of, of those movements of Jews from Eastern and Western Europe to, to the land of Israel to, to start something new. And it was it was very interesting. We're speaking about holiness. So he never went, as so many of his peers, he never went to the holy sites, to the old holy sites, to Jerusalem or you know, the you know the famous holy places. to Tiberia. Yeah. Yes. None of them. He went to the Jezreel Valley, which is not that important. It is, but you know, but for them, that was the sacred place where they, where you know, you know, where they worked in the land, on the land, being farmers and recreating the land and also themselves. Um, though very quickly uh, being despised by his comrades, he he published his first uh, poem. Because for his comrades, that was bourgeois. But right? you had to work. Uh, you shouldn't have write poems. <laughs> but, you know, he was, that was his spirit. Um, and, and so after a while, he moved to the city. And, and quite quickly became, you said, define him. I would say, not only a writer, a poet. I would say an architect of culture. Because an architect is not only the person who is, actually putting the bricks, but someone who designs the home that other people can live in. So he was the, the editor of so many literary supplements from the 30s till, the, till his death in 73. From, from the great poets of modern Hebrew uh, poetry, he was probably the one who had published, uh, you know, gave the first, the first um, publishing moment for dozens of 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 poets that he was the person that that not discovered them but gave them a a, a way to you know to like the
0: stage uh, to, to, to publish their the stage to publish, to publish their
1: poetry incredible. exactly so he's he's not only the one who published himself and wrote like the six volumes of 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 uh, poems but he was also the creator of of those you know realms where you could publish yourself and also he was very much influenced with uh, the rejuvenation of Hebrew, inventing words. He was like the master, master of, of uh, language inventions. You know, they, they, they needed, his wife at those times was an actor in, in theater. And they lacked Hebrew words for theater because there was, there was no theater for centuries. right? No. So they said to him, all the things that we say in French, you know, regisseur, I don't know what, how would we call them? And this crazy guy simply invented the words, but you know, he he usually did not invent them. He borrowed them from ancient sources. Like, this is crazy to our our discussion about holiness and secularism, everything that you mentioned in the beginning. He borrowed almost all the words that were renewed by him for artifacts or moments of modern Hebrew theater came from scripture. From, from the description of the temple in the book of Leviticus. So he simply borrowed words that were previously describing the, you know, the, the priests that were performing. But he said, <laughs> we are the priests, we're performing. Oh so God. once you had seen, you know, the great, the great moments of revelation were conducted by priests or prophets. I'm taking, I'm borrowing and reusing this language. And it was, of course, it was all designed like that for him. It wasn't coincidental. It was to to tell you and to tell the audience that this is no entertainment. Of course, there was also entertainment and he loved entertainment. He was a very, you know, cheerful guy. But at the same time, he knew that things that they were doing were, were religious and holy in the sense that they give meaning. So, and maybe I'll stop here. I mean, there are many more other things to say, but this is like... So, yes.
0: so um, I, I, w- I have so many questions that come to my mind and I want to start with a very technical just for for maybe listeners who knows a little yes. bit about um, Hebrew poetry. Um, so, we speak here... We all know um the the, the, the poet uh, Bialik and um, so he's like the second gen he's like the generation after, right? After one,
1: yes. After. And actually he was he was rebelling against Bialik while admiring him. Okay,
0: so we have Bialik and and I guess like Burdychevsky there, the third generation, right? And Gnesin also, can we put them in the same kind of time? We can and then where he is, he's next to Brenner, to Rachel, who is writing poetry. Then, next. Where, where he is, he's with Lad, because he's until
1: 1973. So it's probably very hard to say. The 30s, but, the 30s and 40s were his high, or 50s also were his highest. You know, the, the tide of Shlonsky's time. Yes, and actually, there there is a whole generation in in literary scholarship, which is not not my thing, but I can see what they talk about. They call it the Shlonsky Alterman generation. Shlonsky, so, on Nathan, one side, Nathan, Nathan Alterman, Nathan Alterman, who was Nathan Alterman, who was actually his uh, like younger brother. But oh. at, at the end of the day, even sometimes more um, I don't know talented, but uh, certainly more uh, popular. Um, so. They're, they're described as as a as a one generation you know as one generation of of of, of writers and around them of course there were many 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 others. many great uh, leah goldberg that you mentioned by the way leah goldberg speaking about architecture right so he not only we talked before about real life so he was trying to help her to immigrate to israel you know with all the forms and bureaucracy so so he was in that as well. It's not only in writing. And at the same time, you know, when she landed, not landed, she disembarked the ship uh, at, in the port, the port, the first thing that she got descending from, her, from, from the ship that brought her to Eretz Israel was her first book that he printed for her. Can you wow. imagine a young woman, intellectual from, from Vilnius, coming to to another country, uh, writing Hebrew there. Already there, yes. Already there. And he knew her from there and he had high esteem for for her work. And she's now descending, disembarking the ship. And the first thing that greets her is Shlonsky and her book in print. What is sensitivity? This This was a gesture she never forgot. At the same time, she opened the book and she saw all kinds of editing that he's done in on her poetry and she started crying you see so this whole okay so
0: incredible yeah. incredible and the second thing that you said and now i want to go deeper is yes. you said that in a way for example he's inventing hebrew by going to the past so it's like he go to the future, he's creating the future by going to the past yes we're thinking to speak about that later but since we speak about past and future, let's do it now. Can you share a little bit about this relationship? Because Shlonsky, some people who will look at that in a simplicity way, will say he is part of the secular group of Israelis. Um, but he is so much more nuanced. And I would love you, Rani, if you can please speak with us about how much Israeli and Jewish secularism, at least in Palestine that became later the state of Israel, they are really cutting themselves from the past, and how much Lonsky actually speaking with the past in order to create the secular future, Um, and maybe even the word secular is not the right word, so I think I would need you to help us to find better words for that. And 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 last thing, whenever you feel that you want to read for us a few lines from Shlonsky, please do it.
1: Do it in a moment. I I have to, I have to tell you that one of the reasons that I dived back into his work, which I knew a little bit of, but now I know much more, uh, is because I was personally interested with these questions. Um, and it's it was for me like sort of a psychoanalysis because he was so central as a as a writer but also as an architect of culture, so that I felt that in order to understand who we are and what are we dealing with, you know, problems you know, pro and con, right, good and 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 also critical way, Shlonsky provides a fantastic. Um, look back and forward, exactly as you said, because I think coming from the, from the home that he came from uh, with the two parents that I described and also his own personality, of course, um, he was insisting that the whole trick of this new thing, which is uh, which he was part of, and that was part of the, the, the creation here, was that it had to be old and new at the same time. Um, that if it's only looking backwards and it's only traditional, then it's, it's simply irreve- irrelevant because you can't leave the past. And if you think you're doing that, you're just imagining that you're actually living the past because you're not in the past. Um, at the same time, he had like this deep resentment to the, as much, he was, as much as he was a revolutionist and also with the Russian background and everything, he couldn't bear the people or, or the, you know, the, the attitude that was just looking forward with no leaning on the past, that, that it couldn't work for him um, as, as, a, as a committed Jew, as a, you know, as a, as a pioneer, I think also as a person, as a cultural figure, the moment that you say culture, um, also especially in Europe, then there is some sort of bond between past and future. Mm. And here I do want to, and, 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 and by the way, I, before we read this little paragraph, I, I would like to say that for him, exactly the thing that, you know, walking between the drops, if you can say that, walking between the tensions, that for people seemed to be a flaw of this new Israeli culture or Zionist culture, or pioneer culture. For him, that was the, the heart of this whole endeavor to hold them both together, to, to try somehow to hold them both together in a meaningful way. And it's not like being undecisive. No, it's leaving the tension that makes the whole thing worthy of. And I want to read a um, few lines he says uh, in an article that he published in 1936, he was not, you know, uh, 36 years old. Yeah. Um, it's no accident that Zionism is a legal but rebellious daughter of the Jewish past. Both rebels against it, its values of its Jewish heritage. The fundamental divide between Zionism and all its different opponents from assimilationists to those who encourage conversion is exactly around the issue of traditional values. Um, And here he insists um, that, and and this is very important. He insists, insists on the importance of the present. The present is the moment that has the power to tie in a meaningful way the past and the future. And unless you recognize who you are at the present moment, it will never work. I mean, if you're fully committed to the past, then you you are, I would say, um, alienated to your present. um, You're living your life as if you were your father. It can't work. So for him, recognizing your your present moment and standing there fully and trying to live you know that past and looking forward, this is the big project. Um, and this is also part of this the, the few so he says this tension in Zionism between the past and the future or the past is not is not, a, is not a, an accident. We have to live it. We have to live in this tension. Um, and this is, this is what also gives it its power and the energy. Because if you left the past fully, you left completely. If, you, if you're committed to the past fully, then you're, uh, I would say, you're ruled by the past. You don't breathe. The only way of, of living fully is to stand at the present and looking back and forward and, 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 and juggling between the two of them
0: so, so um, R- Rani, yes. I, I love it so much but i i want to to try to to yes. to take it to the next step so i think that one of the gifts of um, and and this is why i'm so looking for i am so happy for this dialogue because you're not only a scholar who is working you know only among books but you also an educator you are it's much more than that like you are educator in the meaning that you Create language for people and for right for and to communities to societies in Israel. You're trying, I think, very well, to give them the ability to to think about their lives. So, I think in our generation today, in the 21st century, for example, we are so influenced by the gifts of um, let's say mindfulness and meditation so when you say present I want to think about like so many listeners now that they are trying to understand what he exactly mean mean so yeah so like when for me when you say let's look at let's leave the present it means let's concentrate inside myself and listen to my body and listen to my voice that slowly I can find inside myself. But as you said, myself is also the culture, the language that my mother sang for me, the songs before I fall asleep, the the stories of my ancestors. And this is what he means, that it's actually don't leave the Jewish past by. When you have a question, you said like, what my rabbis did in the past, what the Jewish scholars, but... Listen, listen deeply to yourself, but use the language. And if it if this is where you where Shlonsky is, I wonder how do you teach Shlonsky today when so many Israelis, when they listen deep inside, maybe they are discommunicate from their past. So what do they hear? So. Help me here. I said many words, but I, I'm not sure right no, no, I' you're
1: abs- First of all, you're absolutely right. I think when people hear present, they think of something inward. Be present, right? It's like a very but but this is but this is also, I think for him and also for his generation and peers for, for sure, to be present is not only an inward look. He was very much interested in in the condition of of the Jewish people and in the condition of humans, of modern humans, and to be present is to look on where you are on all those levels, on the spiritual inner level, on your collective national, and also I would say social level, he was very much identified with the socialist, you know, with the, with the workers, with the workers unions, all of that, but you know, People didn't understand. He said, how can you be a Zionist? He left for Paris for, for a year to be in Paris. For him to live in Paris was to deeply inhale the condition of the human person in the 30s. And by the way, you know, he has a fantastic, um, a fantastic description of Paris as a city where there are those all kinds of, Mythological God is there, but he's not there, and and he's dancing on the roofs. And and one of the one of the lines that I will now translate roughly into English says, "In the in the streams of wisdom, uh, flows uh, or you you find the waters of craziness." And he actually describes he talks about the te- technology, right the you know, the I would say the social media of his time. Now he is in the beginning of the 30s and he smelled somehow things that we know now, right? After the 20th century, that in five or 10 years, those medias would be influenced to the worst, uh, to the worst human um, endeavors, right? By Nazism. And he saw how, Telegraph and, and, and mass media can recruit thousands of people to the, to the most awful, uh, so, so you see, this is the present. The present is spiritual, but also very social and very much um, connected to your own group, but very much also generally human. Now, when you speak about language, it's also important to say, and it's connected to what I've just said, It's not only a linguistic turn. You have to do in in that sense. It's very halachically Jewish, or you know, very you know, following some sort of actions. You cannot only talk. As much as he was a person of words, it had to be done in reality, not only in language. As much as he as he believed in language and worked with language. And in this fusion of language, take the old language, infuse it with new meaning, um, give it new life. It's, it's good for you and it's good for the past, you know, because otherwise those, those words would, would stay archeological. Um, as to your question about teaching Shlonsky today, I think that part of his unpopular, um, um, I would say position in Israeli uh, culture today, is that what he tried to bridge is exactly what is broken? I, can I give you? Can I give you a please, please example?
0: Yes, okay. I love I love so this sentence what? about the brokenness. So yes, please.
1: Okay, I'll read it to you. I, I would like to read it in Hebrew just for the sound, but please. I will read it in English. No, no, you uh, maybe read
0: for us one sentence, one line in Hebrew or two lines, and then go to the English, please.
1: Okay, so this is this is a. Probably his mo, one of his most addressed poetical works that he wrote as a pioneer in the Israel, in the Jezreel Valley, end of the twenties. So I'll read two lines in Hebrew and then I'll go into it. So he says, "Halbishini ktonet pasim ve'im amal." Dress me good, mother. In a splendorous coat of many colors, and we don't lead me to my toil. My land wraps in light like a prayer shawl, houses stand like phylacteries, and like bands of phylacteries glide hand laid asphalt roads. And then he continues. Now, this, this little stanza is striking because he is talking about his. He's like the voice of the writer and the voice of, of, the, of the poem is, is almost one. Okay. And he says, Oh mother, kosher mother. Kosher, kosher mother. Kosher, right. oh, kosher yeah. mother. Which is of course not a, not a matter of taste, but a matter of her purity, if you wish. So it's a yeah. okay. Dress me with the one, like you know, the the wonderful coat of, of Joseph. This is a you know the say, say a few words
0: say a few words for people. Who I have I say I say yeah. okay.
1: Now this is the biblical story about the beautiful robe of Joseph that was crafted by his father Jacob as a token of his unconditional love to Joseph over his other brothers. Now when I get to this to this point with Israeli kids or students, first of all, many times I have to explain the, the biblical connotation. Which without you cannot understand the whole beauty of the poem. But when people do get the connotation, and by the way, most people, this is like a quite famous. The glorious robe of of of, of Joseph is quite you know it's even a it was even a, a show right. And then I asked him why would a pioneer in the twenties identify himself as Joseph? But this is exactly the thing, right? It's a paradoxical garment. It's a token of love by his father. But at the, and, and, and at the same time, a symbol of hate of his brothers to him. Because later he would be thrown to the pit and the robe would, and the garment would be taken and, and, and put in blood and brought back to Jacob to show that he is, that he is gone, that, he's, that he died. And for him and for his generation, that was exactly how they felt. They felt like Joseph. They were part of the Jewish family. And they were, in their, in their mindset, they were about to save the, all of the family, all of the people. By coming to the land of Israel, they did not do it for themselves. They did it for, you know, the whole, to save the nation. At the same time, most of the nation despised them, at least. Or uh, if, if not despised, simply ignored and went to other places, mainly to the States, of course. As, as a haven from Eastern Europe, from the pogroms and the cruelty and anti-Semitism. This is fantastic. If a person wants to say, I am, I am the shaliach, right? I am the messenger, I am the, I am the savior. And at the same time, I'm a suffering savior. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm suffering or I'm being despised. Because the way to say it is to say, I'm Joseph. Because you, we know that at the end of the biblical story, the the brother that all the others have despised and, and hated was the one who saved all of them in the years of hunger in, in Egypt. And it doesn't matter if it did happen historically or not, in our mythical mindset, this is Joseph. So this is now what you asked me before is do Israelis understand that? And I think that's part of the issue that many many of us don't. So this what he tried to bring together. Is many times broken, or or un, the the bridge has has fallen apart, and and this is part of what I'm and many of us are trying to to bridge again or to build again. Love it so much.
0: I, I really love it so much. By the way, did he write it after the Holocaust? No, um, no, it's before. Fantastic so it's, question. You know, the many, feeling many was people, there.
1: Yeah. Yes, many people. You see, because this is also the moment that you say uh, a a robe with you know striped. The, this is like our first thing is not the Bible. Our first thing is Auschwitz. Right. But this is 1925, uh, one, 1927. Unbelievable. It's not. It's not even closely in their in their in their horizon. Uh, so you can say, and and maybe there was something prophetic here as well. I don't know but because you he certainly felt that being a writer, being a poet, has some prophetic features. Um, Yes,
0: Rani, one of the things that fascinated me in your book and in his poetry, he that he he gives language to things that sometimes we want to romanticize. And I feel that even that he his poetry is so strong and it's so, I don't have good words, it's so um, visceral. I feel that he tells you don't make it look more beauty than it is. Feel the things. And and, and one of them and you mentioned before his visit to Paris and his general relationship between a person who lives in Tel Aviv, the new city right in Israel, but the life of the Zionists who are in the fields. As you said, he went to, to meet with them. He was with them. But Many times, and again, this is what I love about your book, is that when we speak today in the 21st century about like nature and the tension between nature and the city, we, we speak about like nature is a place where we go to do, you know, a mind, like a Buddhist retreat or, or, or a Christian contemplative uh, prayer or Jewish, you know, holy day. But he speaks about nature as a place where your hands are in the ground and you come back home and your back is hurting. And the parents of this young generation are looking at them from Europe and instead of becoming the next Freud, the next PhD, or go to America to make money or be spiritual and you know, like the Yiddish Mameh, There, I'm sure in their unconscious, they are working as I will say Eastern European Goyim non-Jewish farmers, (laughs) and he's there and he creates language. What's going on there in his poetry around that?
1: (laughs) I want to quote first, please, because I think that because I think poetry has this magic that all our philosophies and He says like this, just one one line, man is flesh and he labors here in holiness and bread comes from the earth. What can you say more? You're digging into the, I mean, when he says he labors here in holiness, he doesn't talk about a shrine or a temple or a synagogue or nothing or a church. He's in the fields of the Israel Valley and he's toiling to get bread out of the land and his flesh and that's holy. When you get bread out of the land, this is a, you're participating. And this is by the way, amazing, amazing that when you compare his, his description of, of humans in nature, in while working in the Valley to his, to his life in Paris, that completely, he was blown over. I mean, Paris simply, wow. He was, he was in a big wow with Paris. But you can see that in Paris, this is all turmoil and cruelty. And God, there is, you know, is, is hunting humans. And is a sort of almost of a, the devil. It's uncertain whether God is the, if it's devilish or holish, you know, is it, is it what, what's going on there? It's completely puzzling. In nature, and in agriculture, there's a full participation of humans and God together, in, in in this. I would say cosmic work, cosmic work, and cosmic work. I don't I don't speak about meditation, right? Listen okay. to this again. Yeah, he's speaking about flesh. Oh, flesh, flesh. Flesh. Oh, drop. flesh, Yes, mamash, mamash. Look, listen to this. With shirt wide open, now we have to understand, this is all, the description on, on one hand is very, very mundane. It's hot, it's the Middle East, it's summer, it's, I don't know how many in Fahrenheit, but I don't know, it's almost 40, it's extremely hot. And he says, with shirt wide open, like the open temple gates. Unbelievable. With the toes of my field, I, 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 I will caress the earth of mourning. And listen to this, okay? I will lift my body in my palms and beneath the name of thick tree on a throne of green grass, I will sit, man, God. I don't know. Maybe people who are coming from Christianity would hear. I don't know. People from all kinds of, would, 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 I don't know. You know, you can interpret it in men But Adam Elohim, there, there is like a full harmony. Of God and humans here in this toil of, of the land.
0: And, and it's not and just it, God. It's, it's, it's like the word that he used is not Elohim. It's like Yahavah. It's like, the, it's the, like the name l- of the divine
1: that you seriously don't say. Yeah, this is, this is of course, of course, this is crazy, right? Because he let, he let himself use the name that was banned. But when you speak about, okay, tradition and revolution, what is going on here? Is this, secular, <laughs> is this a secular revolution where a person is letting himself use the most holy names of all names in the Bible that was banned in most of Jewish tradition to be used? Now it's used in a poem of a socially secular pioneer from the Jezreel Valley when he says Adam, you'd Vav, hei, right? Like the... Crazy... So you're asking, you said, you said about nuanced. I think this, it's not that you're puzzled. It's not that I'm puzzled. This is the thing. It's, it's new. It's like the mix is something that is, um, is giving this whole project the the energy. Adam right? Okay. so. So my last question,
0: my last question, we speak a lot about holiness and the profane. And, one of the things that we all understand that in order to have something holy, you need to have something which is not holy, right? Otherwise, the Shabbat, the Saturday is holy <laughs> because the six days are the six days of work which are the profane. But when you read for us these lines,
1: <laughs> he doesn't let you to go there. <laughs> 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 so but what I want to tell you yeah. What's going on? Yes. I think we could have gone here. Now, listen, this is also, the beauty of, of Shlonsky's work is that he, he was not only doing this, I, I'm trying in my book also to show that's like in in, in, in in retrospect, right? 20 years after he was writing these poems, he's, he's, he's standing in front of his comrades. They're now celebrating 20 years to their pioneer uh, adventure. And he's looking back right now and he says, oops too much holiness what does too it mean much what does it mean we have sanctified every goat every move in the field every spade every i don't know every truck why because it was so hard that in order to give it some sort of of force and commitment we have to sank we had to sanctify almost everything that we did there but looking back Words 20 years now, now that I'm 56, not 36, I'm a little, I'm not a little bit, I'm more than anxious that this might turn us on our heads. And he gives and he gives a a fantastic example. He says, Look on something which we're we know now from our days, look on the Israeli army. Okay, depends on your political. You can and of course for him it might be needed it might we need to be defended all of that but to say that it's a holy army to say that the, it, this is like a holy war oh we it's got for a you kilo know, we should by man, secular
0: we, people by, sec, it's by to secular people by, by secular, secular time
1: yes we should be very careful in sanctifying things that that should not be sanctified and, and, and he said, this was uh, looking back on, on himself. He, in, in that speech where he criticizes the 1936 culture, he criticized his, the, the poem that I read you from about Joseph. And he said, this was maybe a fantastic poem, but it went too far. And we have not been able to establish some sort of a continuum between secularism and holiness because we needed it to keep us alive, to keep our heads over, you know, because it was so hard to simply survive. But now that the project is here, we have to be very, very mindful to the dangers that this brings into Israeli culture, society, and existence. And if I think that standing in 2021, and reading this from one of the major leaders of this movement in 1956, you say, wow, I mean, maybe this is prophecy. The prophecy is not only to be able to sanctify things, but also to criticize over-sanctification, the dangers of holiness, and, and things that maybe you have to be older and more, I don't know what, uh, to look back and, and also sincere. I mean, there's there is some sort of, sincerity here to say this was too much. And maybe also to let
0: the new generation who are now born in the state of Israel to not to feel the, um, the, the, their, now that their past, which is the parents who created the state and dedicate themselves, and many of them died to create the land and what's happened there, to force them not to be themselves, because the new generation I needs to find their voice. I
1: to leave the to kibbutz, is, right? To leave the I kibbutz, right? Right. But I have to say, I'm very respectful to Shlonsky in that in that respect. I I know uh, from writings and his diary, it wasn't easy for him to become to become you know to do the, to do the transposition from becoming from becoming. Uh, from being the, the rebellion, you know, the, re, the rebellious son to be the one who's being rebelled, you know, be, uh, rebelled against. As the, as
0: the kid says, uh, let it go in Frozen.
1: I'll beat you. But he did understand that this is this is the way that it has to be. Mm-hmm. It has to be. It was hard for him personally to sometimes feel it. But I think conceptually, he understood that in order for culture to live this rebellion of one generation and this rejuvenation and if he was insisting of leaving his present, then his kids and his grandchildren have to leave their present, as much as it may hinder his own you know, great position and and contribution which did happen, and I feel I'm, I'm in a way his grandchild so I can be more I can be calmer I don't have to rebel anymore. I ha- I can look at him. First of all, he he passed away 50 years. Uh, you know, so so you know all the all the mythologies. I don't right. I don't I, I read the poetry and the writings, and I can address them from my perspective, from our perspective. And I think criticizing and loving, I would say that's that's the heritage, right? So uh, less
0: less question. Yes, as an educator. You work a lot with Palestinians or Israeli citizens. Did you ever brought this poetry to read with them? Because I think Shlonsky bring such a nuanced voice.
1: Many times, and, and I have to tell you, also I, with, Ameri- I also with a- American yeah. Jews, with American yeah. educators, yeah. Um, I, because I have a few translations, I, I, was re- I read it in Europe. It's very interesting to see what turmoil uh, starts in the room. Some people say, what? This is the secretion of tradition. You other say, mm. what? Well, no, but this is a sanctification. This is too, too holy. What's going on here? Who is this guy, right? So I, I actually l- love the way that, that, I think what people feel is, when, when you read like one of the poems that I read to you, is that if you if you put your hand on it, you feel the stitches I and you can it. actually you can actually touch them and maybe you can you can identify with the work of suing things to of you know that the attempt that might work or might not work but trying to soothe things and soothing things together I think that is something that you can identify with um, and that's also why why the conversation is many times so so, alive. so hot right yeah. so so stimu- so it's it's stimulating a very a very um, a hot, hot discussion because people feel the project they, m- they might not feel for his solution but they feel the project and and i think in 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 all sectors of, Ju- of Jewish society i think in many sectors of of art, you know in many groups in, in general, in, in, in many cultures, people can identify exactly with those questions. And he's, he's doing it in a, in an artistic uh, craft craftsmanship, you know, in a fantastic way. Yeah, touching the
0: stitches. I love that so much. Rani Yeager, thank you so much for writing the book. Thank you for joining us to the New Books Network. It was thank a,
1: you gift. It's a, a gift. always a pleasure and enlightening being with you.
0: Thank you.